And so we're wrapping up our series that we've called Beginnings, looking at passages that give us glimpses of life in the early church. Okay, and so we're going uh, through these passages. We've been going through these passages because, one, we go to God's word, right, when we want to learn about who he is what he's done, when we want to learn about who we are and how we should live, we go to God's word. That's number one. And number two, we're looking at these passages because there's something about the earliest churches that offers a portrait of a church done simply, right? Where we strip back the contemporary conversations about church models and methods and music and what Sunday should look like and all of that, right? And we get to look beyond those things at the church in an age when the essentials were all they had, where the essentials were on display. And so we go back to the early church to find just kind of the core of what is the church, and so we camped out in the book of Acts for a few weeks this fall, right? We looked at some narrative pictures of how the early church functioned and lived together, how they gathered, uh, how they were viewed by the world around them. And then we hopped over to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where we've been for a few weeks, particularly in chapter 4. I've mentioned this before, but Paul spends the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians just detailing out the amazing work that God has done in salvation, the amazing work that he has offered through Jesus Christ, how he has poured out every blessing, how he has given his spirit to the church, how he has made the church one, right, through, through the sacrifice of Jesus. And then chapter four starts with the first command when Paul says, walk worthy of the calling you have received. See, first he tells the church what they've received, and then he urges us to walk accordingly, right? Walk like people who have received this amazing gift, right? We were talking about thankfulness with the kids and how it changes your heart. This is the way we're supposed to walk. And so he lists some qualities in this chapter in Ephesians 4, like patience, humility, gentleness, love. We talked about those two weeks ago. And he begs the church to maintain unity in the spirit through the bond of peace. Right? This is all just to give you context for where we are today. And the church is one, right? We talked about the invisible spiritual reality that Jesus bought for the church. We are one. Yet we're also called to keep the unity, to build each other up using our gifts. We talked about that last week. Right? We're called to walk in a way that's worthy of that reality, to make the invisible visible for the world to see. I mentioned over the past couple weeks uh, the illustration of the family Right, to describe how the church is one, whether we act like it or not, how a family is a family, no matter how disintegrated they are. Right? The bonds that originally made them family remain, even if the relationships are torn apart. Right? This would be an example of a family that, for whatever reason, hasn't or can't live into the gift and beauty and love of unity. Right? Sometimes it's our choice, sometimes it's not our choice. And it's hard when we picture the ideal, right? And, it, and it's an ideal that feels unattainable. And that was a really powerful example for a few of us. I felt that 
uh, even from my own family experience, right? Some shared how hard family can be. I saw others shaking their heads like, nope, I'm all set with some of my family, right? And some of that is, is uh, appropriate, right? Family is complex, and there are certainly good reasons for the disintegration that we experience, right? We live in a broken world. We were just talking about that as we were going through the confession, giving our burdens to God, right? But we don't want those experiences to define how we see and do family across the board, right? So those less than ideal experiences should not define what, uh, what we call good, right? And, and how we see family across the board. See, if we did, we'd miss out on the blessings of healthy family life too, right? If we defined all of our family relationships by the negative times that we've experienced family, then we would have negative relationships across the board. And this is what I've been trying to get at with the church. We all have various backgrounds and experiences with church. Some have had excellent experiences. Some have had horrible experiences. Some have had things in between, right? Maybe a mix of the two. And just like with family, separating from a church, of course, can be necessary if there are various kinds of abuse and sin and all that. But whatever our background, it's important to start with this idea that the church is one, right? And they're called to be a community of love, uh, we're called to show that by our actions, right, that are motivated by God's grace toward us, motivated by thankfulness for what God has done. We are called to show that, I'll say that again, by actions that are motivated by God's grace toward us. We are supposed to contrast with the world as our backdrop, right, a light in the darkness, and Paul gets into some specifics in our passage today as he writes to the Ephesian church. He says this in Ephesians 4.17. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. This means that he's very serious about what he's going to say. In the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. Now remember, he said at the beginning of this chapter, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Well, he tells them, don't walk, he uses that word walk, don't walk like the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts, right? The church thinks differently. The church walks differently. Now, the Gentiles, they were the ones who were separated from God, right? They were the non-Israelite nations who had, at that time, no connection with God, right? They, the, they, they had different laws, different ways. They had different gods, right? National gods that they worshipped. Uh, the ways of God weren't important to them at all. Their thoughts were futile, Paul says. They had hard hearts, calloused, right? And that yielded a particular behavior, right? That resulted in their walk, promiscuity, the practice of every kind of impurity with the desire for more and more. Paul says, don't walk like them. 
right? And to us, that sounds like a pretty reasonable request, but he's talking to people who are coming out of this background, right? And then you get the contrast, verse 20, but that is not how you came to know Christ. He says, this is the way the Gentiles are, but that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming, this is verse 21, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity and truth. So that Gentile walk, that, that worldly walk, that was the walk of the old self. But there's a new self, Paul says, created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. He says, put that on. If you've heard Christ, if you've been taught by Christ, you are new, he says. So walk new, right? Walk in a new way. The old self is corrupt. The new self in Jesus's image is pure. These are his words. Therefore, he says in verse 25, and we don't want to miss that therefore, right? We don't want to miss any therefores in scripture. They're very easy to, to gloss over. But there's a saying that I've heard a bunch of times. I don't know if anyone here has heard it. But if there's a therefore, we need to ask what it's there for, right? If there's a therefore, we need to ask what it's there for. That's important because it recalls back all the things that have just been said before it. Therefore, or for this reason, or you could say because of all this, because of everything I just said, old self, new self, right? He's going to give a list of behavior changes that the church should employ in their lives and as they live life together as new selves. Therefore, verse 25, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. So old self, lying, right? New self speaking the truth. Why? Because we are members of one another, right? Members like a body, right? Like, like members of your body, right? Remember that unity that Christ established in the church, right? As one body. It's no secret that truth is at the foundation of relationships, right? And that lying rots that foundation, there can be no unified church if the members are lying to one another. One way to think about this, a church father from the 4th century, uh, Chrysostom, uh, he wisely asks and says, If the eye sees a serpent, does it lie to the foot? Or if the nose smells a deadly drug, will it lie to the mouth? Or if the tongue tastes something bitter, will it lie to the stomach? In this same vein, Paul points out that although there are many individual members, these members comprise one body, right? Thus, as new persons, believers are commanded to speak the truth with one another. That is important in the church, right? There can be no unified church that the members are lying to one another. 
Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Right? So old self sinning in their anger. Right? New self being angry but not sinning. Right? Dealing with their anger swiftly so as not to give the devil an opportunity. I did an exercise once where I had to identify in my body where I feel emotions, right? Like, where do you feel it when you're anxious? Where do you feel it, you know, when you're whatever, right? And I had to do it for anger. And I said, I feel it in my hands. Feel anger in my hands. Or, or you feel anger in your jaw, maybe, right? Right? I feel it here. And I don't know about you. Maybe you feel it in different places. But isn't it interesting that angry outbursts often come from using our hands or our mouths destructively? Right? Paul writes to the church, you can be angry without sinning. Right? Paul isn't saying that anger is always a bad emotion. There are right times to be angry. There are instances in the Bible when God is angry, right? Especially when wrong is done to people or when wrong is done toward God himself. God is angry, yet he never sins, right? He's never out of control. Be angry without having a harmful outburst, right? And secondly, he makes the point to say uh, not to let anger fester, Right? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Some people take that very literally. You would be in trouble, though, if you were living in, say, Greenland and the sun didn't set for a few months, right? Because it's light all the time uh, during a particular season, right? Or dark all the time. There's no sunrise. How would you follow that, right? It just basically means don't let anger fester. Right? Don't let anger fester. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't stay angry for long. Even if it's righteous anger, don't stay angry for long because anger has a tendency to isolate us, right? Or put us in the company of other angry people. And you'll hear stories of people uh, who attended particular riots or things like this. You have uh, moms of three kids like throwing, uh, you know, firebombs and different things at stores. And it's like, how did I get here? You know, but they're in this angry mob and something just incites, right? And it's like, I'm not the type of person who would do this. Uh, I actually heard a story of somebody like that. And it's, it, it, we're either going to be isolated when we stay angry or we're going to be in the company of other angry people. And that puts us in a hard place as well, where the devil has an opportunity to speak lies into our lives. Right? Let the thief no longer steal, verse 28. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. So old self, stealing. Right? New self, working honestly with your own hands and living generously. Christ has the power to make this transformation. Right? From a thief to somebody who is... Uh, a philanthropist, right? And I hope you're not hearing these as legalistic commands. They're indicators of transformation by God's grace. Paul goes on, verse 29, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. 
Old self, right? Language that tears down. New self, language that builds up. Right? He's not just talking about swearing. Uh, another translation words this as unwholesome talk. Right? This is how a church community should talk to one another and to everyone else for that matter. Right? What comes out of our mouths matters, not just our actions, but also our words. Verse 30, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. Right? It's possible to grieve God with the words that come out of our mouths, especially the ones we use when we're talking to or about one another. Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Right? We, you were sealed by him for the day of redemption, Paul says. Verse 31, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. So remove bitterness. He tells them not to harbor grudges against one another. Right? The alternative is to talk about it with one another, right? Instead of have a grudge. Make peace with one another or just resolve to overlook the offense. Sometimes we can do that too. He's leaving no room for contentious communication. Even shouting is supposed to be removed from the community of believers. Remove slander. He says, that's spreading lies about one another. Remove malice, that's the desire with malintent to actually hurt other people. Remove these, he says. And then he caps it off with this call in verse 32. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So let's talk about how this passage is rooted in the good news of Jesus, right? The gospel. Uh, I want to point us to the last verse in this chapter, Ephesians 4.32. We already looked at this. Paul writes, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. And so it's important to know the church exists because of the forgiveness of in Christ, because of God's forgiveness in Christ. The fact that we're gathering here today is a result of God's forgiveness. In Ephesians 2, Paul talks about how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Right? We were the dark backdrop of the world at one point. Right? But he says this in Ephesians 2, 4, But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. And that grace, that, that came at a price, right? The price of Jesus's life. He died so that we could be made alive. That's how God has forgiven us in Christ. And so why do we find it so hard? at times, to be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another as God has forgiven us in Christ. But I think about seasons that can sometimes bring out a side in people that is really far from this picture, right? Seasons that are upcoming. We're in the holiday season now. 
And for some of us, the joy of that includes pain or anxiety or loss and reminders of that, right? Those can be triggers, as Kathy said. And I've seen even in the grocery store, right, how this season brings out the worst in people sometimes. I, I witnessed a woman yelling at a cashier the other day and then looking at me wanting to, to bring me into her anger, right? And, and I looked away uh, as not to even be part of it because, one, I've been a cashier before. I've been yelled at before, and I'm like, I'm all set with that. But um, I've, I've witnessed these things happen. There's something about this season, as joyful and wonderful as it is, it also brings something out of people. All right, and just as we consider our interactions with others and even the way we think about others this season, let's bring it back to this chapter, Ephesians 4, right? Let's remember this chapter. Remember, God has loved you. God has loved us. God has been compassionate with us. So let's be kind and compassionate to others, whether it's a cashier or, or a cousin that drives you crazy, right? The other season that comes to mind is, is, are these election seasons, right? We just finished one. And people have strong political opinions and with good reason and often good intentions. And I think everyone wants what they think is best for the country and for the world, right? And here we are two years out from the next presidential election and rumblings are picking up again. And I am always in awe of the compromises that I have seen Christians make on social media and in person to make a political point or to get a political point across, just to make their views heard. It suddenly becomes okay to laugh at, at images and words that are degrading to the image of God in that person who, who is running for election, whether you agree with them or not whoever they are, right? They are made in the image of God. And so even just in our church, I want to make the plea that over the next two years, you may be political, you may not be, just to check in on Ephesians 4. Be angry and do not sin. Don't give an opportunity for the devil, right? It is going to get crazy out there again, right? We've had a little lull, but place your highest allegiance to King Jesus, our kind, compassionate Savior in any season, right? Paul talks to the Ephesians about living like the Gentiles, living like those who are calloused with hardened hearts, but it's always good to check in and see if we look and sound like that, or if we're celebrating others who look and sound like that, right? And we should remember we should remember that's not how we came to know Christ, Paul says. We were taught by him to take off our former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self. This is who we are. If you are a believer in Christ, this is who you are, a new self created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. We live from here, right? This is where God has us. Whatever the season, let's live this out together.